Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 Podcast. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says Authenticity Guaranteed, that means real experts are checking your sneakers. Every stitch, down to the sole. They even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guaranteed. Visit ebay.com for terms. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber, and alongside me is Logan Camden, and today we are going to be asking and answering eight pressing NBA questions on our mind as we now sit a little bit more than a week deep into the season. Already been just a magical journey, dare I say. Like, it's so, so much fun to have basketball back, Logan, and one of, I think, the most fun stories of the opening week plus of action has been the Charlotte Hornets off to a really strong start sitting at 4-1, and one, currently the two-seed in the Eastern Conference. So I think that we were both excited about this team in the preseason for some reasons. We both had them as playoff teams. But now that they've gotten off to this strong of a start, how impressed have you been and what do you think their ceiling actually is? Oh, I've been super impressed. I think uh, my ceiling is probably like a six to eight seed and a, and a tough, scrappy first round team. But that's the thing, man. There are only five teams that are clearly better uh, out east of me, and that's the Bucks, Bulls, Knicks, Heat, and Nets. And in their similar tier, I'd probably say Atlanta, Boston, and uh, Philadelphia are, are all kind of in that same tier with Charlotte. Um, but this is a team, like we touched on in our first real NBA show, it's a team that can put up points and generate offense. I, you know, and it's a team that you don't want to draw in the playoffs. They like to push the pace, move the rock quickly. They're as fluid as any offense in the league. And they've been doing this without Terry Rozier, which I think, you know, accentuates how impressive this has been. And we have seen major improvement from uh, two guys, LaMelo, just improved shooting by far, dude. He is pulling up way more confidently. He's pulling up from deeper. It just reminds me, I, I told you this, watching a Hornets game, it just looks like he's back in high school again, man. He's playing the game. He's taking it at his own pace, and he's just hucking up shots from everywhere and they're falling like he just looks super confident that step back three in the Celtics game on Marcus Smart boy that thing was filthy he broke Marcus off man um he's you know you've got explosive cutters here in Bridges and Ubre, and on that man Bridges has just been phenomenal he's just one of the most athletically gifted explosive players in the league and he is strong in the lane man when he gets that rock, he is going up with it with force. Like, you are not taking it from him. He is going to big body you out of the way. Like, Bridges may not seem... That's a distinction, I think, because I said that him and Kelly Oubre were really similar. I think that's a distinction I would make, man. Bridges just goes up strong with the rock. Um, 
Like, regular season-wise, Carson, I don't think we see drastic improvement from last year. Like I said, I think 6-8 to eight seed is the range. I don't mean from last season. I mean from what we expected. I think 6-8 to eight seed is probably what we can expect. But I think LaMelo could lead this team to a first-round upset maybe further, dude. He's talented enough. There's enough shooting and offensive creation. The, the core is just strong enough around this team to where I think that they could lead them on a sort of Trey Young-like run through the uh, through the East. Like, the only thing I think that is missing is that dominant interior rim protection presence. When the Hawks brought in Clint Capella, that completely changed the dynamic of their defense, and that's what Charlotte is going to need come playoff time to really assert themselves as genuine Eastern Conference contenders, is that interior deterrent where, all, you know, you can lock up on defense. You know, Mason Plumley's good. He's a good rotational big. I like the signing. He's a big improvement from Zeller. But, dude, I think Nick Richards could be that guy. Like, uh, the Celtics game, he had a couple of just monstrous blocks. He's got crazy vert. Like, I don't want to get overzealous. We've seen he was in the G League last year. We've seen a few games of him this year. But he's got crazy bounce. Like, I just, I'm hopeful that maybe as the year progresses that he can be that guy that steps up and anchors this defense, or at least off the bench, can just be a really good rotational rim protector. Um... Still, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't sell them short even if Nick Richards doesn't doesn't step up to that guy because again, this team can generate points in bundles, and I think they're a tough draw regardless. Like a hot shooting Charlotte team could easily I could see knock off a a three or four seed come playoff time. Yeah, I think that we generally agree on their ceiling. I think that they could be sort of a fringe top six team in the east and again that's a ceiling because the east is so good I still wouldn't have them there but they look like a top eight team in the east right now maybe they are the eighth team but they look like they're playing at that level and they just have such an established offensive identity and it is so smooth there are so many things that they do exceptionally well right now they're second in offensive rating and a lot of that is driven by just how phenomenal they are out in transition and anybody could have seen this coming we saw a lot of this last year but it is just even up another level this year like they're more consistently playing with pace and sure a combination of Lamelo and Miles Bridges and shooters is just going to be lethal there but we've seen that play out they're averaging the most transition points per game in the NBA and the shooting in the various places from which the shooting comes is exceptional too. They're second in three-point percentage right now, and you just look up and down this roster. They are able to play four shooters at basically all times with LaMelo, with Miles Bridges, with Gordon Hayward, with even a guy like Jalen McDaniels stepping in with Kelly Oubre when he's on. It's just an incredible variety and depth of options there. And again, they move the ball really well. They're top three in assists. Like, there's just a synergy here, and a lot of that was present last year as well, but I think the difference is kind of what you touched on. They just are more talented now. Their talent has developed. LaMelo, I made the video on why I thought he could be a fringe all-star guy this year. I think he is clearly at that level. He just had a rough game against the Magic, not his smoothest shooting night, but it is just effortless with him. I mean, everything is so smooth. He's shooting 46% from deep, and then Miles Bridges, Logan... I said right after we did our awards pod, the very next show, that I really regretted not having him on my most improved ballot preseason because last year, he went from just being a pretty solid guy as he had kind of been as a prospect, as he had been since college, to all of a sudden, over his last 20 games last year, he's putting up 20 a night on 51, 43 and a half, 84 splits. He's flashing this advanced step back, which he made 59% of from deep last year. The handle looked improved. And there were a lot of indications that he could basically just replicate that this year. I guess my biggest question was, 
if the volume of opportunity would be there because there are kind of a lot of mouths to feed in Charlotte, and it just has been. Like, he can attack in so many different ways. He's giving you 26-8 and eight right now, for those who don't know, on 53% from the field, 40% from deep. And you mentioned it, supremely athletic, strong, but he's got the bag too. I mean, the handle has come so far. The step back is legitimate. He's 5-8 of eight on step back threes again this year. It is like unquestionably one of the nastiest step backs in the NBA. And then... Great catch and shooter. Great guy filling the lane in transition. So it's just the all-around versatility of these offensive weapons is what I love. Because, yes, there are mouths to feed, sure. But LaMelo is going to set the table for others. He can kill you as a catch and shooter. Gordon Hayward is a supremely versatile offensive weapon. Miles Bridges is incredibly versatile. Kelly Oubre is a guy who sometimes can make it a little bit too much of the Kelly Oubre show. But he's not a top priority. And if he's just catching and shooting... If he's knocking those down, you're getting value there, and he's another great athlete. And so it just really works. I agree with you on the rim protection. I would argue there's just not a high enough overall defensive ceiling for this team right now for them to be in the contention tier, and I also don't think that they're going to end the year as, call me crazy, the second-best offense in basketball. But I do think this is a top-10 offense. I think that we saw the seeds of that last year, and it's just coming together even more smoothly this year. And by the way... I like their depth a lot too. Like, I think that we've seen a lot of Ish Smith. We talked about that on another podcast, but it's just a lot of Ish Smith right now. But he's playing well enough. Jalen McDaniels is stepping up and looks good. Cody Martin, I love, is just a dog. PJ Washington, kind of sad, honestly, that he's just been relegated as far as his role significantly, but a quality option to have off the bench. Once Terry Rozier is back, Ubre is going to be coming off the bench, or maybe you stagger those minutes and now you have Rozier filling it up with the bench unit. Like, They're just really good. They're well-coached. They're smooth. They know their identity. They have a number of options. And, like, honestly, at this point, if they're not a top-eight team, I will be disappointed. And that's a high standard to hold them to because guess what? That means I'm bumping bumping the Boston Celtics out of my preseason predictions. But I just think this is a more complete, significantly better offensive team right now that has several fringe star-level talents. Like, LaMelo is certainly in that class. Gordon Hayward is certainly in that class. And I think Miles Bridges has entered that class as well. I don't think he's nearly as good as LaMelo, but as a pure scorer, this dude is going to put up 20 a game and expect to hear more from me about him soon over the next few days. Wink, wink. Yeah, no, there's just a wealth of creators here, and that's what makes them so dangerous is no matter who you're swinging it to on the perimeter, they can knock down a catch-and-shoot attempt. If you don't close out fast enough, they can take you off the dribble. I disagree, though. I think top 10 is underselling them. I, I think maybe a hot take. I think they do end of the year as a top-five offense in basketball. I believe in the Charlotte Hornets that much. Like, the ball movement, and I know this is the stereotypical cliche that we always compare them to, it looks like like Warriors East almost at some points. Like, not as fluid because the Warriors are just on a different level, but damn, is it smooth, man. Like, I genuinely believe with LaMelo at the helm, with the wealth of weapons that you have here, the scoring creation, the just the individual talents of these guys, I think they end the year as a top-five offense. You're a big Terry Rozier guy. How does he fit into this picture? Because, again, we've only seen him out there once this year, and he did not have a good game. It's a good question. I think the, you're exactly right. That's what they should do in running him more with this, as the sixth man off the bench because there are a lot of Miles to feed. And I think Miles is proving that he's not going to be left starving. You know, he needs to eat. And he's honestly, he's a better creator and a better rim attacker 
than Terry, and I think that's exactly what you need because then it accentuates the abilities of a Gordon Hayward, of a LaMelo Ball, you know, the catch-and-shoot ability of these guys. I'm not saying Terry couldn't feast off the catch, but Terry's another perimeter creator like Hayward, like LaMelo. Like, Miles gives you a different dynamic that Terry doesn't have, and... Like, no, I don't say you completely relegate Terry to that six-man role. I think you still start him in stretches because he's a good shooter off the bounce. But I don't want to take those touches away from Hayward, Lamelo, or, um, excuse me, or, uh, or Gordon, like, or Miles. Like, I think that you need to keep giving those guys the rock. So stagger those minutes with Oubre and, uh, and Terry and let everybody eat. But I certainly don't want to take those touches that Miles is getting because he is so clearly just better, and again, he just brings a different dynamic that Terry doesn't. He collapses the defense in a way to open up shots for those other perimeter shooters, and I think that's just too valuable to relegate him back to the bench role in you know, less minutes like we saw last year. Yeah, uh, Terry is just a bucket, man. I mean, he's a solidly efficient 20-point-per-game scorer, and I actually do think that although, yes, he can be this electrifying guy off the bounce, he is so great off the catch so great that I think he can work here too. And I think he's a solid enough playmaker to where, again, he's not just going to take this offense out of rhythm. Like last year, he took five and a half catch and shoot threes a game and he made 43% of them. So they already had to sort of conduct this balancing act last year. Now there's just even more mouths to feed, but with that comes more talent, more creation, more shooting. And I just think it really works, man. So not only are they very good, they are very, very fun. Again, they play up and down, they're skilled, and I just love the Hornets, dude. So we'll see, I guess, how many truly foundational star-level pieces they have, but I think that LaMelo has clearly proven that he's going to be an all-NBA guy in this league. Like He is just unbelievable. The pace, the blend of scoring and playmaking, the all-around skill, the poise, the creativity, it's just like so rare. And then Miles Bridges has shown that he can be, again, a 20-plus point-per-game scorer efficiently and fill various roles for you offensively. So maybe there are some more pieces that they need to find if this team wants to have that championship ceiling down the line because they don't have that right now. But what they do have right now is veterans who really help complement this whole thing and really promising young talents. So props to the Hornets, man, because, again, we expected, obviously, a very solid campaign from them. But this has been really impressive to start this year. Let's talk now about one individual young chap who is also very exciting, very impressive. And that is John Morant, who I think has been sort of one of the guys who has grabbed the most attention throughout the league over this first week plus because through three games he was putting up 35 a night, still putting up better than 30 a game, still putting up better than eight assists a game. So I will ask you, Logan, has Jaw taken a legitimate leap from last season into a different tier as a player? It's a tough question. I mean, I don't know if we've seen him take... It's tough. Like, yeah, I think I probably would. The The biggest distinction between last year and this year to me, and last year I didn't get it. People were talking about Ja, like, you, you know, this was actual regression. We were seeing a sophomore slump for portions of the year. I never understood that. The big difference to me, Carson, is... The way Ja like moves and operates in the lane is like the biggest distinction to me. Like because normally Ja was kind of like just a straight line driver, like he would just kind of straight up attack the cup. I just feel like we've seen a lot more change of pace in the mid range, a lot more of a deeper bag in there where he's trying to get to different spots. Like I've just been impressed. 
uh, in that regard. Like he's more confident in his moves, his spin moves, his hop steps, anything in between the lane. He's more creative finishing around the rim, but and he still is explosive. I think the big the big improvement that we need to see in him, and we, everybody talks about this with Ja, is his shot. Um, I don't know if the shot has genuinely. Um, improved. I was really excited in the Lakers game, obviously. Like, they are giving him space. He is pulling up from super deep. He goes five of seven from there. And he was just confident. Like, he was just letting it fly, and it looked so smooth. Um, he shot one of four against uh, against the Cavs and two of seven versus the Clippers. So it's still inconsistent. Um, but I think we have. And it's not just his stuff like in the lane. Like, Carson, there is nobody else creating on this team. Like, there is, like, even last year, he had Valanciunas to rely on for somewhat consistent offense. Oh, man, the offense is stagnating. We need a quick bucket. Let's dump it down to Valanciunas on the low block, or let's let him draw some attention and kick it back out. You know, there's nobody else here. Like, everybody else is playing a cutting, relocating. Like, even Steven Adams. Like, Steven Adams brings you nothing offensively except a big guy to set a screen and roll to the rack. Like... That's the big distinction I would also make, is not only his improvements individually in his shot in between the lane, it's that there's nobody else to rely on here offensively. And that's what I think is so impressive about, about Ja this season, is it's, it's just him. And if you want to talk about like most valuable players as to you know the situations around them, I think Ja has to be in that conversation. And I know that that was one of the most impressive storylines for us last year, Carson, was, oh, look at the Grizzlies' resilience even without him and this wealth of you know, bench weapons that they have. They're able to stay afloat even when Ja is not out there, even when Triple J is not like he is. That's not the case this year. Like, if Ja goes down, I'm really worried about the Grizzlies, even though I have been impressed with the improvement from Desmond Bain and DeAnthony Melton. Whatever, man. This is the most impressed I've been with Ja in just that he's an offensive engine now. So, yeah, I would say because of the change here situationally, yeah, there's a massive improvement. He is the only creator on this team, and they are winning games in in games single-handedly because of him. And I think that's a that's a big difference from last season. So here's kind of my take. We basically saw Jaw do this last year. It just wasn't during the regular season. And I think that the noteworthy thing here is that a relentless, hyper-aggressive, assertive John Morant is a guy who will just consistently impose his will on the game, will get downhill over and over and over again. And some of the things you mentioned, I mean, the creativity as a finisher to me has kind of always been there. Like, he is unbelievably adaptable in the air. The change in pace, I mean, we have seen him really establish that floater game. That was pivotal to what he was doing last year, attacking Rudy Gobert and the Jazz. But also, he's just going to get downhill. And like, you look at his production right now, he's putting up 30.5 points and 8.5 assists per game, taking 6.5 free throws a night, finishing 73% of his shots from 0 to 3 feet. And then in the play-in and playoffs last year, it was similar production. We saw him put up 29.4 a game, taking 7 free throws a night, because again, when he wants to, he is incredibly difficult to stop from getting into the lane. And his floater is something that as a defense, I suppose you can live with because he's not Luka level there, right? He doesn't have that kind of touch. He's going to shoot in the low to mid 40s from floater range, but it's still really reliable offense that he can get to. And he is just exceptional dissecting defenses from that spot in the middle of the floor coming downhill. So I don't really feel like he is a different player. What excites me, though, is that we have seen that consistent assertiveness because sometimes he has just sort of decided to blend in as part of the Grizzlies cast overall, 
But I think he has clearly been far and away the most talented member of this group, the guy with the potential to be an offensive engine. And it's just about consistently asserting his will because there's very, very few people in the league who can stop him, again, from getting downhill and getting to his spots. Now, if he does start hitting 36% of his pull-up threes, I think he's probably a top 20 player because there is just like almost nobody with this level of athletic explosiveness and then also playmaking chops and overall finishing skill. I think that the only comparison is De'Aaron Fox, who I think is quicker, but Jaw is also a little bit stronger, although actually Foxy's gotten stronger this year too, so maybe they're somewhat similar in that respect, but he's a more impressive vertical athlete, I think. And so he's just a freak in that respect. And now it's just about developing that all-around skill, but Jaw, I think we have seen, could score 22 a game kind of at will. It's just a matter of was he going to decide to put his imprint on every game like that? And now that he is, I think that we're seeing it. So the three-point shooting has been impressive to start this year. He's 11 of 24 right now. Wasn't great over the first two games. Has been very good over the last two. I'm not ready to say that we've seen a significant change there, though. So I don't know if his skill set is different. But I have just loved the dog mentality that we have always seen from him in spots, but sometimes it's only been in the biggest moments where he's just like, hey, I need to go berserk. I like seeing it a lot because I don't feel like he is forcing the issue. He's not taking shots that he's not comfortable with, right? He's not doing a Russell Westbrook where it's, hey, let me take a bunch of mid-range pull-ups. He's going to get his 20 shots a night, but they're going to be overwhelmingly good shots, especially if you know he's going to shoot, again, mid to high 30s from deep. So... He's a phenomenal talent. I mean, he has been a phenomenal talent. I said when he was a rookie, he was one of the most impressive rookie guards that I had ever seen. I said before the draft that I would have taken him over Zion. Probably not a good take now, but still shows you the kind of faith that I had in Jaw. And I think that we are seeing just the progression of that ability. But I don't know if the skill set has actually really changed. And if he wants to be a superstar... I still think he needs to develop that shot from the perimeter and show consistently that he can do that. And maybe he does this year. I'm just not convinced based on the four games that we've seen that he has taken a leap in that way. I think we've kind of buried his... You briefly mentioned the playmaking chops. I mean, dude, Ja is still a tremendous passer. Like Some of the passes he's made this season, just cross-court spotting guys. I do want to elaborate on a point you talk about. You talk about like the the tendency to get downhill, the Russell Westbrook, you know, I don't ever feel that way with Ja. I just feel that's kind of the way he commands the game. And like you said, dude, the shots that he is generating are always going to be close to the rack or in the paint. That's why I don't ever feel like Ja going up for a layup or going up to get fouled. Like I, you know, him going up hard to the rack is always a good shot. You know, like the issue with Russell Westbrook is he just takes a dumb pull up three Ja's not doing that. Ja takes threes when they're there. He just he takes what the defense gives him. But I, Ja always generates good offense, whether it's a shot at the rim, whether it's him collapsing the defense and spotting a guy in the corner. Like I don't ever feel like Ja's making bad decisions out there. Um, you go with Aaron Fox. Do you think he... I know it's the typical comp that everybody goes with. Do you believe he's like prime D Rose? Because I think that's the I think that's the obvious comparison. I think it's pretty apt, too. Like If his three-pointer comes along, I think he's... I think he's right there with him. He's still not as explosive as Derrick Rose was. I mean, he's, again, up there for the best thing that we have in today's NBA, and he's a freak athlete. But I would say that D. Rose had 
a more impressive handle. I think his first step was even crazier than what we've seen from Ja. And I think that he was also a moderately, if not significantly, better jump shooter. And that he did have more of that game out of the mid-range. He did have... He was never a really efficient three-point shooter, but he was a guy who just had a smoother-looking pull-up game that I think was a little more intimidating to defenses. But I also think that... Yeah, I mean, there's obviously similarities there. So... I agree on the most important thing, which is that Jaw is not a guy who forces the issue. He will force his will on the game, but he doesn't force the issue. And we saw that in the playoffs last year. We're seeing that in this season, and that makes him a special player. Yeah, I concur. I I, I do want to. I, I don't think that I, I don't want to like uh, make a bad argument here or a bad case. Like I do think that I don't think Jaw's a fundamentally different player. I just think he's improved in so many of the things that he was already doing last season, though, and especially after the rocky start that he got out to in Memphis last year. Um, I don't know. I've been super impressed, and I just hope that the three-point shooting continues, dude. 36 to 37% jaw is in... Let me ask you that, then. Is 36 to 37% three-point shooting jaw, is that an MVP candidate? Obviously, the Grizzlies aren't going to win enough games, but eventually, say they get there, is he somewhere in the conversation? In today's NBA right now... No, I don't think so. But like I said, I would say that he is like a top 20 player at that stage, which is insane right now. But that is clearly the thing that is just missing from making him a superb offensive engine. So overall, Grizzlies right now, they're 2-2. Two and two. They started out the season with a couple quality wins. Now have dropped their last couple. But overall, is this team better than you expected or sort of in that same range? Team's a lot better than I expected, dude. I was expecting, like, I don't know, man. I, you can always count on the Grizzlies to be good. You know, I've just been impressed that they've been doing this without Dylan Brooks, I guess. Like, just the Desmond Bain has been so much better. Like, he was already a great catch-and-shooter last year. He has been tremendous off the catch. He is a, such a smart cutter. He's a stout defender. I love Desmond Bain. He is just, he's just a winning basketball player. I've been super impressed with the job that DeAnthony Melton has been able to do filling in, but the guy I've been most impressed with is probably Steven Adams, just because he fits better with this team than I expected. Like, he he did this in OKC, and I guess I just didn't appreciate it as much. Him setting screens, him setting the table for guys, you know, just making smart passes to really get this offense kicked off, but Dude, the Grizzlies are just tough on the inside, man. They are strong on the interior. They are strong on the glass. Like, I'm against the Lakers, in the third quarter alone, they outscored them in the paint 24-6. to They were uh, winning 30-5 to in second-chance points in the fourth quarter of that game. Like, they're sixth in rebounds per game at this point in the season. The Grizzlies are just tough on the inside, dude. And, again, just to emphasize that, to do that on a team like the Lakers that have that many interior guys, and I know they've struggled with how cluttered that has been thus far, for them to dominate a team like that on the inside is just impressive. And, again, dude, that's what just makes this Grizzlies team so tough. When you have that many catching shooters, man, and so many interior presences, when you're getting all these extra possessions, they're just a, they're just a tough team. And I know that's been their mentality, but I genuinely thought they were losing something offensively when they lost Valanciunas. And I think they have lost in a dependable presence, but they're kind of getting that back in the second chance opportunities that Steven Adams creates and what he's able to do offensively as well. I've been super impressed. I didn't think that the Adams fit was going to gel as well as it had. I didn't think that these other young guys were going to continue stepping up like they had. Um, I've been super disappointed in Triple J, and I don't think Zaire Williams should be playing 17 minutes a night, but outside of that, I have been uh, super impressed with what Memphis has done to start this season. I feel like they're kind of 
pretty similar to what I anticipated just because a lot of the strengths that you laid out there, I mean, that's just what they do, right? Like they were the most prolific paint offense in basketball last year. They were really strong on the glass. They've been really strong on the glass again this year, top five rebounding team. They are going to push the pace. They're going to play really hard on defense and they are deep. I've been impressed with how well they've shot the ball. I have been impressed with the performance of Desmond Bain as well, and I don't know if he's a fundamentally different player. I still think he's kind of simple offensively, but really nice shooter and just sort of a calm, composed player. D'Anthony Melton, God, I love him, and I don't know if he'll sustain the kind of shooting that he's been doing, but really impressive stepping up and actually filling in as a starter. But I don't know, man. I don't know if I actually like the depth of this team as much as I have a couple of the recent Grizzlies teams. I think that Grayson Allen loss is genuinely going to matter for them. But still, I think that they know what they're good at. I agree with you. Steven Adams has been nice. I mean, just a phenomenal screener and a solid enough decision maker. And by the way, Valanciunas was the king of second chance points last year, but Steven Adams is averaging six offensive rebounds a game. Like there is barely a better offensive rebounder in basketball than Steven Adams. So they know what they do, man. They're competitive. They play both ends. They play fast. And they are going to grind their way to being around 500. I just think if they are going to take another step up, I don't know. It'll probably have to be on the back of Jaw being that actual top 20 level guy. And I still think that this is what we've talked about many times. They got too good too fast with John Morant. He was too ready to drive winning immediately. And they just don't have the second star talent. If anybody thinks it's going to be Triple J, I would like to have whatever you are having because you are living in an alternate reality. No, they just sold the bag on the Triple J pick. Like, I'm not saying you needed to hit that hard or you just need Zaire Williams to somehow pop. Like, it's just not happening. It's going to have to come via trade. You're going to have to package a bunch of these young guys together and move off of them. Yeah, it sucks. De- Jod desperately needs a co-star because that's all they need to be competitive. Like, a, another shot creator off the dribble or just a... Anyone, literally anyone, bruh. Screw Triple J. That guy kind of stinks. Triple J, a man you considered for most improved, Logan. Yeah, briefly, because, dude, I saw him in the preseason, man. He hit this one step back three on the wing. It was dirty, dude. He went behind the back. That guy's tall and can hit threes. I like him. But, you know, he just, he's just, he's not, he's not a big. He doesn't play like a big. He's just frustrating, man. He's, he's like Laurie Markinen. He really is like Laurie Markkinen with some more defensive upside, but a tendency to foul people every 30 seconds. All right, so we talked about one competitive, scrappy young team there in the Grizzlies. Let me ask you about one in the other conference, Logan. A team that is currently sitting at 3-2, and two, has three consecutive wins over teams that were legitimate playoff groups last year, all of whom actually won a playoff series. That's the Hawks, the Nuggets, and the Clippers. Successive wins for the Cleveland Cavaliers, Logan. So let me ask you, do they have a route to being a play-in team? How excited are you by what you've seen over these five games? Like, What are your expectations for the Cavs now coming off of this impressive little streak here? I expect them to be better than than I initially expected. Like, I thought we were probably going to get the Cavs team from last season. Honestly, on the play-in thing, I, I don't really see a route. It's going to be super tough. Like, the, it's going to require the, the Pacers, the Hornets, or the Celtics to just plummet. Now, injuries could certainly play a factor in that, and that's probably the most reasonable route to the Cavs uh, making a sort of run. But 
I've definitely been intrigued by a lot of the pieces here in the individual talents. We'll start with your boy, Evan Mobley, bro. Um, he definitely needs to get stronger, and I think we saw that kind of against Denver. Like, uh, Jokic was just, if, if he got a switch on Mobley, he was just big bodying him. And we've seen that a little bit. That was a criticism of him coming in. But I don't know how you cannot be impressed with this kid defensively. And Carson, you bang the drum for this kid. It, it's not only his straight-up shot blocking, because he's already a tremendous shot blocker as help side, as switching off for Jared Allen. Dude, he can switch out onto the perimeter like, genuinely. Like, he is a genuinely good perimeter defender immediately. And again, right now, his offensive game is pretty simplified. I think we need to see the floor open up for him to genuinely showcase what he can do on that end. You know, like, I want to see him as that sole paint guy. Even though Jared Allen's done a tremendous job to start this season, efficiency-wise and inside, he's got a little more touch than I expected. I want to see Mobley expand his offensive game. But defensively, I have been absolutely astounded. Um, Isaac Okoro... I was not a fan of. I have not really been an Isaac Okoro guy, uh, but I've kind of liked his continued development with his handle, his driving to the rack. And I think you you said this last year, Carson. Okoro's not a Okoro's not a three. You know, like he's Okoro definitely needs to run the two. And I'm not saying like defensively, I think he can guard threes, but he is not a long term guy's six four, six five. He's way too small. He needs to be a ball handler more than anything else. And I also I just don't know if I ever trust that shot to come along. But I've been impressed with his playmaking. He's got balance. He's got explosiveness. He's a smart cutter, and he's still great defensively. Um, again, he needs to establish that reliable scoring skill set. But I've liked what I've seen from him this season. Um, Garland, you know, he struggled with his health to start this year. I've liked his improved range, and I know the numbers won't tell you this, but his shot still looks as smooth. His floater game looks just as good. And then, you know, Rubio's cool. He just helped this offense move along. Are you not a Rubio guy? Why are you making that face, bruh? You know, he's played pretty well, and I like what he brings defensively. And, I mean, obviously his playmaking is very impressive. It's just been a lot of Ricky Rubio. Mm -hmm. Even when Garland's out there. There are stretches of the game where it's kind of the Ricky Rubio show. And I don't know if I love that for this team when they have sort of their two lead ball handling guards so clearly established. But he's a good player, and I do think he is helping them win games. I agree, and that's why I like him here is I just think he is... I just think he helps run this offense, helps slick the wheels. Um, But no, I mean, through these early games, I've been impressed with, with Jared Allen, with Evan Mobley... And Isaac Okoro especially, like these three guys, I just, I was skeptical of. And Allen, maybe I don't hate that contract, Carson. You know, like maybe I don't hate it as much as I thought I did. He's a really impactful defender. He's a really good rebounder. And he's got a little more touch around the rim. Like, again, he's a simple player, but I don't know, man. I think I may have undervalued what he brings defensively. So here's my take on that. I have always really liked Jared Allen as a basketball player. And I have talked about how for the first year or two, it really might make sense to play him alongside Mobley as Mobley continues to fill out his frame and develop all that strength so that he can guard those really great offensive fives out of the post. And even $20 million a year, it's not like that's egregious. It's just when you do it for five years that I have an issue with because Evan Mobley is not going to be a power forward in this league in my opinion, that's not where he's going to be best served. Right now, it probably is, just not in five years. And I don't know if somebody's going to take on that Jared Allen contract. And I still think it's a lot for a guy who is fundamentally very good at a very simple role. But I mean, if he starts to space the floor more, we saw him try it a little bit towards the end of last year. We haven't really this year, but some of that touch that you mentioned, I mean, he showed that last year a little bit. His shot doesn't look broken or anything. 
that would make him a really, really interesting asset because athletically, rolling to the rim defensively, he, he's impressive and he's really, really good at what he does. And he doesn't really step outside of his role whatsoever. So I like Jared Allen. But I do think that his strength kind of speaks to the strength of this team, which has just been clearly the defense up to this point. It's impressive, man. They're eighth in defensive rating right now, and they play hard, but they also just have a lot of length, like a good amount of athleticism. They are just big, and they just kind of really suffocate offenses. Like there's just, again, a lot of long arms out there, a lot of big bodies. When Rubio is out there, then you have this like feisty competitive point guard with a 6'9 wingspan. But if you just look at the bigs who they have on the floor, Mobley is outstanding for a rookie defensively. You mentioned his versatility, his defensive playmaking. It's nuts, bro. He is exactly as advertised by yours truly on both ends. Offensively, I mean, the passing, like the skill, everything about him, dude, going to be an all-NBA player, 0.0 doubt in my mind, and honestly might even be better off the bat than I could have anticipated. And I said he was the best prospect I'd ever seen, so that tells you a lot. Super impressive. Then you have Jared Allen, who's this great rim protector, 7'6 wingspan. You can play Okoro in there, another feisty, athletic, pretty long guy. And so it's just a lot of really pretty impressive guys on that end. And I don't know if I'm going to bet on them sustaining this level because last year they got off to kind of a scrappy start defensively and then it ended up being that they just didn't have enough offense. And that is still really my concern here. It's, yeah, they have now four starters who should theoretically be able to space the floor. Mobley, that's not going to be his primary weapon, though. Markinen, we have not seen shoot the ball well thus far. And it's like last year, the undoing of this team was that they were probably the worst shooting team in the NBA. And right now, they're 29th in three-pointers made, and they're 29th in three-point percentage. So I think what we need to see for this group to really enter that play-in conversation is star Darius Garland. Is Darius Garland putting up like 24 or an 8 or 9? Because his passing is phenomenal. I mean, we've seen that. But the consistent assertiveness as a scorer, taking the top off of a defense by confidently pulling up from deep, which I still think he should do more because he's a really smooth shooter, just things like that. And then they just need more reliable shooting on the wings, I think. And that's where like playing Ricky Rubio big minutes doesn't help you. Or playing Isaac Okoro big minutes doesn't help you. Even a guy like Chetty Osman, it's spotty as far as the shooting. It's inconsistent. So that's really my concern. There's a lot riding on this young group being a top 10 defense. This young group that doesn't have, in my opinion, a great point of attack defender when Isaac Okoro isn't on the floor. They have the length. I mean, Rubio can be a pretty good point of attack defender, but he's not going to start for you really this season when they're at full health, as we've seen already. So it's just a lot riding on them playing as like a top 10 defense. Because in these three wins, dude, the most points they've scored is 101. Like it has been driven by that quality defense and it's just going to be a grind. But I do think I like a lot of these individual pieces. They're pretty deep, dude. Like their last guy to come off the bench regularly is Chetty Osman. Kevin Love, sure. You know, obviously not totally engaged at all times, but... He's been out there playing with moderate effort this year, and he's your eighth man. Like, it, it is probably even a better roster than I would say we gave it credit for, and I really like the Cavs because I have been the biggest Darius Garland and Evan Mobley advocate that there is. 
but I'm worried about the shooting. I'm worried about the all-around offense. I'm worried about them having that true star-level engine to drive it because I just think that they kind of need that right now. So I would say probably not firmly in that play-in tier yet just because, again, somebody would have to drop out. I think it would be the Pacers just because... They're one and four right now, right? Or are they one and three? And it's just the defense hasn't been all that impressive, but I still think they're more talented. The offense is just so, so smooth for them. So I don't think they're quite in that tier, but I am happy. I like seeing this progress. I like seeing guys care. And they've got a lot of players who I really love. So we touched on one standout rookie there and Evan Mobley. Let's take it out to this entire class because obviously we love the draft. We talked a lot about the draft. Now that we've actually seen all these guys out there on an NBA floor, I'll ask you a two-parter here. Which rookie has impressed you the most and which has disappointed you the most? But let's start positive with the most impressive. Yeah, um, I've got two guys. I'll start with uh, a gentleman in Orlando, Franz Wagner. Um, he's putting up 14-4-2 on 52-42 splits right now. He's second in scoring uh, for the Magic. And I've just, I don't know, maybe most people would have expected this from Franz. I was just not a Wagner guy. I just didn't see it. Now, I thought... He could play a simple role like this, a catch-and-shooter, uh, you know, just a straight-up 3-and-deer, but I don't know. Like, I I had questions about the shot. I was, and, and most guys' shots have trouble translating. Like, I still don't see, like, a star... Um, I still don't see, like, a star ceiling for the guy, but he just plays a really good role, and I just think he could work in a lot of different places. And on that, he... He attacks closeouts really well. Like he just reads, he reads the game well. He's got a decent floater game for when he does get into the lane. He's just he's smooth, and I think he could work in a lot of different places. Again, it's gonna it's gonna really depend on him continuing to just knock down shots because that's his game. Is just hitting open looks. But damn, he's done that so far through here. Like over forty percent from deep to start this off. I have been extremely impressed with Franz. Uh, and then another guy who's just shot is just nasty, Chris Duarte. Now, we could have expected this out of Duarte because he's 24, and it's like, if he can't play now, why is he here? But they plug him into the starting role immediately, dude. 19-5-2 on 41-42 splits. His shot is just silky smooth, man, and he is he's confident to pull up from anywhere. He comes off screens, uh, you know, in the lane. They are setting up plays for him, trying to run offense through him. He pulls up from the elbow. He's just got a smooth jumper, man. He's got an innate feel for the game. He moves off ball all game long, again, looking for that jumper. And he's a tremendous movement shooter, too, which I think is a really underrated aspect of his game. Dude, no matter where his feet are set, trust me, he can get that shot up and be right on line. He fights hard on defense, and he fights hard on the glass. Like, these two guys, they're simple roles. You know, uh, Franz a little more simple than than Duarte. I think Duarte's got a little more handle in his game too. Um, but they just they play hard. They knock down open looks. They've got silky smooth jumpers. And Duarte, I was a little higher on than Wagner, which is why I mentioned him. I've just again, I've just been impressed that Wagner's been this consistent to start off. But uh, those have got to be my two guys, man. I had my questions, but they have they've really shown out here uh, to start off. Yeah, Duarte. We talked about him last show, but like. It's just so impressive, dude, because you mentioned, obviously, the pure shooting, just the all-around defensive IQ, the all-around impact, but the step back, the creation off the dribble, really just from the perimeter, he's not doing a whole ton on the interior, at least efficiently, but he's putting up 19 a game as a rookie, so I think that he's just another really quality guy in that Pacers machine. He's starting for them, and he's doing a very good job. Wagner is interesting because... 
I wasn't a huge Wagner guy, probably compared to the consensus. I don't think actually I or you or Carvel, when we did our draft content, none of us were all that high on him. But what I did say is I am very confident he will be a solid NBA player because he just has so many tools. I mean, is going to be a plus defender, is going to be a solid playmaker, is going to be a solid shooter, and you know potentially a secondary or tertiary ball handler. And I think that we've seen a lot of that. What's been really impressive... I think is the shot and it's only been five games. So, you know, you can't put too much stock into it, but if he's going to hit 42% of his threes, which I don't think he necessarily will, but if he's up around 40%, he's really, really valuable because at Michigan, I believe he was 34%. And so you could tell it was going to be a solid shot, but I wasn't confident it was going to be like an overwhelming weapon. I thought maybe he would be more like 35, 36%. So if he's consistently better than that, that'll be really impressive. But yeah, man, Franz is super solid. I think those are both good choices. I would also shout out, of course, Mobley. I think he's been fantastic. Scotty Barnes, I think, has been outstanding. Just more ready to immediately contribute in a variety of ways than I think you could have ever reasonably expected. Like, that dude is super impressive. But we've already talked about him. So, I've got to shout out Josh Giddy right now, man. Because Josh Giddy was one of my first favorite draft prospects. I mean, I sang his praises extensively and talked about how much I loved him early on. Then he ended up going sixth overall out of nowhere. And I was like, okay, that feels like a bit of a reach. I thought he was probably a back end of the lottery guy, but I just have to appreciate how much he plays basketball in a beautiful way, dude. Like I just love it, man. He's going to be one of my favorite NBA players, no matter what, because passing like this is just my favorite thing in the world. And Shout out to the NBL, man, Australia, for producing the two most creative rookie passers I have like ever seen in these last two years because it's nuts. It's nuts the things that he is willing to try with one hand, whipping passes to the corner, creative bounce passes, throwing with touch. Like he can do everything, dude. But it's not just the passing as far as, you know, he can make an insanely tough physical pass. It is the ability to read and dissect the floor out of the pick and roll, like the kind of poise that he has, the pace, the feel that he plays with is not normal. Like they're running pick and roll through him on the final possession against the Lakers and he is making a great read and finding the roll man and like he just makes stuff like that look effortless throughout the game. So you just don't see that from rookies and especially not 19 year olds who, you know, I guess was really productive in a pretty solid professional league, but also not a guy who was some high profile, you know, product of the AAU system. Like he's just a really unique and gifted talent. And he's putting up basically 11, six and six. My question has never been about the playmaking. It's always been about, is he going to be a high end scorer to the point where you can justify him being a lead ball handler? And you know, I still have some questions about that, but at the same time, he's six, eight, he's fluid. He has this great change in pace. I do think he's really reliant on his floater right now, as you probably could have anticipated, because he's not this great athlete who's always going to get right to the bucket. But the floater looks good, and I mean, he is confident going right into that. His shot off the dribble, I'm still not totally sold on, but it does look good off the catch, which gives him a little bit more of that off-ball value, which is significant, because that was a question about him as a prospect. So I don't know if he's going to justify being the sixth overall pick in this draft, because this draft was nuts, but he very, very well may. And 
I've just been impressed, dude. He's had some off-scoring nights, and I think that's going to continue to be the case for him as a rookie. I just don't think he's refined enough all around there. But he's also had a couple of really good nights where he's up at like 18-plus points. And I think it's going to be maybe a little bit of a roller coaster scoring for him this year, but that passing is not going anywhere, and that just makes him really fun. And by the way, OKC, dude, they have their issues because they're terrible at basketball, but they do just let guys play immediately. Like, they freaking let Poku play last year, and Poku didn't even know where he was, I'm pretty sure. I don't think he knew who was on his team. I don't think that he spoke a word of English. So there were a lot of barriers there. But if you're going to let him play, you're certainly going to let Josh Giddy play. And they have already done that. And he's just a guy who has the feel. He's a basketball player, dude. He understands it. And it's impressive. It's fun to watch. He's a basketball player, dude. Well, you know what I mean. He's like a natural born. He has like the LaMelo ball feel, you know. He's just a guy who gets it. I, I don't think they're going to regret taking Giddy whatsoever, you know. And I, I get what you mean by, you know, justifying with the wealth of talent because there very well could be other guys that are better than him. I don't know, dude. Passing like that is special. It does not come around often. And I mean, if you're asking me to just wait around for Giddy to develop a little bit of a perimeter game, I'll wait. I think it comes. I think Giddy's a stud. Um, we'll get on to uh, on the on the flip side of this and talk about somebody I've been disappointed in. I talk about an Orlando Magic rookie I've been proud of. We'll go to an Orlando Magic uh, rookie I've been very disappointed in. I did a video on Jalen Suggs about how he could save the Orlando Magic. Whew! That looks like it's going to be a freezing cold one. Hey, look, I still believe in Suggs. All right, this kid is going to be a good basketball player. You just got to give him time. The issue here is NBA guys are not afraid of Suggs' scoring ability right now, and they shouldn't be. Suggs is a guy that dominated a lot of college kids on his athleticism, on his strength, on just being you know quicker, just just his physical traits. And you're seeing that being exposed a little bit here. He can't get to his pull-up spots as reliably because he's just not quicker than guys uh, who are guarding him on ball. He is not strong enough or creative enough to finish around the rack. Like, his finishing game is still very simplistic. And when he goes up with those straight-line drives, guys are deterring him. Like, scoring-wise, I'm not even really surprised, Carson. Like, I could have anticipated these struggles. He is not shooting the ball well at all from the perimeter. These are all things that I anticipated to a moderate level. Now, I said that I thought he could average 12 to 14 this year. I still think he gets up to 10 to 11 to 12. You just got to give him a little more time and get his feel of the game in this Orlando offense. Um, But it has been. I mean, he has been... He just has no reliable scoring skill set right now. Again, he cannot get to his spots in the mid-range. When he's attacking downhill, He is having trouble finishing. The one redeeming quality, though, man, he is still making good decisions offensively, and that's why you should not be out on Jalen Suggs, okay? Because the playmaking chops are there. The decision-making is there. Suggs is not a guy who is going to interrupt the, the flow of an offense. He's not a guy who is going to make bad decisions and bad passes. Suggs still makes good decisions and can help set the table, it's just he's not as imposing as I expect him to be, and he won't be as imposing as a playmaker until he gets that reliable scoring skill set, and guys are afraid of what he can do with the ball in his hands, and that's the issue. In college, guys are afraid of him attacking the cup, of him pulling that jumper, and they're drawing attention away from other guys. Those lanes just aren't being created because he's not that dominant of a scorer right now. So I'll say it has been very disappointing. I was hoping for a hotter start for just more impressive, really just I wanted to see him come out the gates and scoring better Give him time. It's going to come. I, I just, 
This guy works hard. He's extremely competitive. And on the defensive end, I have been super impressed. Like, he still is, he's every bit of what I expected on the defensive end. You just got to give him time offensively, and I think it's going to come. Yeah, I think Suggs kind of has to be the choice here, just because this draft class has been as good as we could have asked for, honestly. And I think that I felt it was the best draft class I had ever been able to really evaluate, and it has lived up to the expectation. And Suggs has been kind of the only guy who's lagged behind a little bit. And I think you touched on a lot of it. He just doesn't look super comfortable out there to me. There have been moments where he's coming downhill and he finishes through contact and you're like, hey, that's the kind of great athlete that force coming downhill who we expected him to be. It's just tough. He hasn't had a whole ton of space to work with. And accordingly, because he hasn't been able to get downhill easily and attack a whole ton of clean paints, it's been a lot of settling for the jump shots. As you said, he's one of 10 for mid-range. He's 6 of 28 from 3. It's just not his game. Like, that's just not what he does. In fact, that has been kind of the one of the biggest question marks about how does he project as a lead ball handler. One of the reasons I didn't think he was in the same tier, really, as the top three guys in this class is just I didn't have that same confidence in his superstar ceiling. So when that is becoming what he relies on, that question mark in his game, that's not ideal. I also think he needs to just be a little bit more in control. You know, the turnovers have been kind of an issue so far. He's averaging exactly as many turnovers as he is assists. That's not ideal. And I think part of that is every once in a while trying to force the issue, trying to come downhill and you go into traffic. I think you touched on in your video even how that handle needs to be a little bit tighter. But I mean, I'm by no means out on Jalen Suggs. Like, I still think he's going to be a good basketball player. Not many rookies are just told, hey, go play 30 minutes a night and be like one of our primary ball handlers on a team that's not very good. That's a tough situation to step into. And so I don't think he was ever as impressive of an offensive prospect as a Jalen Green or a Kate Cunningham, at least not in my opinion. I think you disagree with me there, but that was my take. But that doesn't mean that he can't be really, really good. But right now, yes, he is probably the standout guy here. Get a load of this guy putting words in my mouth. Well, Logan, you said that he was, if I'm not mistaken... I mean, you, you liked him more than Jalen Green when we did our draft podcast. Yeah, but you said and Cade Cunningham. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. I my That's actually my, that's, that's my mistake. Cade is a monster. All right, so let's just reframe this question here and ask it about the previous class because obviously Ant and LaMelo at this point, I mean, they're nuts. Like, they're star-level guys, and they're on two of the most fun teams in basketball to me and probably two of the most improved teams in basketball, and I love them both, and I would do anything for them. And I've made videos raving about both of them. Just did one on LaMelo. Did one a few months back last season on the Timberwolves overall, but about six minutes of it was probably spent on Ant. Go check all that out. But outside of those two guys, which second-year guy has impressed you most? I'm, I think I should just make this the Orlando Magic podcast. I'm going to talk about Cole Anthony. Um, Cole's a guy I, I absolutely, I just loved um, last year. You know, I, I compared him to Damian Lillard. And again, I, that's maximized Cole Anthony. But, oh my goodness. Like, if there is any redeeming quality of of the absolute shit show that is the Orlando Magic, it is that Cole Anthony has free reign to do whatever he wants and... He is knocking down some of the just absolutely most difficult shots I have ever seen, dude. He gets into the lane, he stops, he turns around like he's hitting these nasty turnaround fades, these nasty pull-up jumpers. Cole is just such a dominant, such a dominant jump shooter. It is, 
It is so impressive. Right now he's putting up 17, uh, 7 and 6 on 41, 31 splits. And look, he's inefficient as hell. Like he is super inefficient, but I mean, he's just taking tough look after tough look after tough look, and he is knocking them down. Like it's it's just gonna come with time. Like his efficiency, uh, I should say. Like the efficiency is just going to improve with time, and when there are other pieces around here that can get him off easier shots. And I said that I thought Suggs should be, you know, the the, the runner of this offense from day one. I was wrong. Cole's the guy you want to put the keys into. You give him to Cole because guys are actually afraid of him taking these difficult shots off of the dribble, and he's drawing attention. Like, I, Cole, like, Cole definitely has that tunnel vision sometimes where he just gets in his own zone, and he's like, no, I'm not passing the ball. Like, this is a Cole Anthony possession. I'm going to shoot this basketball. But he's just nobody else. You're not afraid of anybody else with the ball in their hands at this time, and that matters. And he has the most developed scoring skill set out of any of these guards here. So give him the rock, let him do his work, let him be inefficient as hell, but, like, dude, the, just the difficult shot making has astounded me, and he looks even better than last year. It, it is, again, the efficiency numbers won't show it, and I think it'll get better with time, but just his, his just deep bag of, of shots are crazy to me. Cole's been good. I considered him for this. The thing for me, I guess, is never for a second have I doubted Cole Anthony as a difficult shot maker. Never have I questioned his ability to make things that other people could never dream of doing look kind of easy. Like, he has always been a tremendously skilled, tough bucket getter. It's, to me, always been about how does he command an offense? How does he fit into the flow of things? How is he going to score efficiently? How consistent is his shot going to be? And look, I'm not going to just sit here and criticize a guy who's averaging 17, seven and a half and six through five games as a second year player who wasn't even a lottery pick. Like he finds a way to fill up the stat sheet and he does have those impressive talents and he is a competitor. He's a guy who is going to scrap on the glass and is going to play hard on defense. And I love all those things about him. He is going to be a guy who just exerts his will on the game as sort of a volume player. I just want to see him really reliably knock down that perimeter shot and really, again, consistently playmake at a high level. And I think the playmaking has come along and, you know, I don't think it's a major issue, but he still, as you mentioned, does get into that tunnel vision, really score first mode at times. So I have no major complaints about Cole Anthony. I think that this is a nice progression that we've seen from year one to year two. Part of it, though, is increase in volume. And I just really want to see, again, the efficiency take a level up from him because that was the thing at UNC. That was the thing as a rookie. It's never been about raw talent, in my opinion. It's about his conduciveness to winning basketball. And you know what? Maybe Orlando isn't the best environment to judge that in because he's just going to get thrown to the fire and told, hey, kind of do what you want to do. But that's kind of what I'm still looking for from him. Undeniably talented kid, though. No, I, that's why I think it's a perfect environment for, for any of these guys. Like, it's going to just give you time to work out the kinks and really just figure out if you can be that star lead ball handler for Cole and for Jalen Suggs. Like, they're, again, it's a, it's a reason that I think Suggs works here is just because the volume of opportunity is going to be there to let you make these mistakes, to let you be inefficient. Like, and we're going to know. Like, we're going to know in a year if Cole Anthony can be your lead guy because he's either going to continue progressing in all aspects of his game because he's the only... <laughs> talented guard out there, or he's going to keep being inefficient and he's going to be a six man somewhere and, you know, fill it up there. But I, that's why I think it works here, just because they can just go out and make these mistakes and be inefficient and we can just figure out what kind of prospects they are. Yeah. I mean, 
It's interesting because Orlando and OKC are like almost in a different tier of NBA teams to me right now and that they are literally just in figure-it-out mode, see what happens. Maybe you could throw another team into that tier, actually, and that is the Detroit Pistons. I think that they have more talent. I think that they're going to be better than those teams pretty clearly once Cade is back there. But I will say, dude, one guy who has been given way more freedom and demonstrated way more skill than I expected does play for the Pistons, and that is Sadiq Bey. Dude, like, I think he's almost an easy choice for me here because always a super high floor guy, always was going to be a sharpshooter in this league, always was going to be a competitive defender, smart overall guy. Like, you get a 21-year-old product, and he's coming out of Nova, and you just know that, like, that skill set is going to be really solid to begin with. What I have been impressed by, though, has been his evolution as a ball handler, like, He's putting up 18, 11, and 3 right now, shooting 60% from inside the arc, and he's producing at that level while he's not shooting well from deep at all. He's 23.5% from beyond the arc, and keep in mind last year, for most of the season, that was his game. Like, he was that off-ball shooter. More than half of his shots, easily at least for most of the year, were coming from beyond the arc, and now it's just like he's so much more creative, he's so much more comfortable with the ball in his hands. And just things in his game that we saw a little bit of towards the end of last year, but up a different level. Honestly, nice change in pace. Pretty creative finisher and just like kind of a tricky player, like willing to use his pivot foot, willing to get guys jumping and throw fakes out there and make some of these tough shots out of the mid-range. His playmaking has been solid. He's also really fighting on the glass, like he's averaging almost 11 boards a night. So... I'm just excited by that, dude. Almost everything about the Pistons excites me, except for, of course, the guy who, if we were doing a flip side of this question, would be the answer, and that is Killian Hayes, who is scoring, I believe, 4.7 points per game on 22% shooting or something like that. Genuinely just cannot score the basketball. Cannot shoot the basketball. Cannot score the basketball for the life of him. But other than that, dude, I mean, Sadiq, Isaiah... Obviously, when Cade gets out there, I feel like you have to like what the Pistons are building, and Sadiq is a guy who I just did not expect to have this kind of skill. I knew he was going to be good, but, I mean, he's just a lot better than I anticipated, honestly, even after he had an all-rookie campaign last year, because it's a different skill set now, and it's a very impressive one. Any thoughts from you on Sadiq? Yeah, he's cool. He's, he's a great off-ball player. I mean, no, dude. I mean, the, the, you've got your big three of the future here, and that's what I've, I've been saying about uh, the Pistons. And I'm happy to see his growth in the game. I want to briefly mention a couple of other guys from this class uh, really quickly. Emmanuel, quickly. Um, actually, Emmanuel's kind of sucked to start this year, but you know what, dude? He shattered Marcus Smart. He shattered Marcus Smart. That was sick. What about what he did to Tyrese Maxey? Oh, yeah, that too. I was going to say... I, I, Wait, did he break Marcus Smart too? Maybe I'm confusing him with Melo. Maybe the maybe it's a Maxi one I'm thinking about. That was dirty too. That was Ugh. dirty. Uh, quickly's just nasty. I just wish the, the guy could like be efficient so I could actually claim him as my favorite player without you know getting hate for it. Anyway, um, <laughs> another cat from this draft class, Precious Achiwa, uh, a much bigger role in Toronto. He's putting up ten and ten on forty one percent shooting. Like, like nothing to go like crazy about, but Precious is just. He's a great rebounder. He is a hog on the interior and on the glass, but he's so switchable. That's what I love about him, man. He's, he's just a big who can switch on. He reminds me of, like, little Bam at a bio. Like, and he's not at that level yet, but damn, is he a smart rotational defender. 
I just love what he brings in Toronto. I love that their big position isn't really filled up and that he can get a lot of burn there. And I've just been impressed with his tenacity on the glass, his defensive switchability, and, you know, his offensive game needs work, but he can handle a little bit. He can push it in transition. I don't know. I like the kid's game, and I like that he's finally getting some time to actually get some run on the court. I love Precious, man. A guy who I actually didn't like nearly enough as a prospect, and I think we pretty clearly saw once he got out there that he was going to be a competitive, valuable NBA player. I guess one more guy I would shout out, Desmond Bain, is putting up 19 a game on like 45% shooting from deep. Just a really, really good all-around basketball player. So the young guys, man, always fun, dude. Always a fun storyline to track and a lot of impressive dudes showing out right now. There is an older gentleman, though, who is playing his best basketball ever, Logan. Hilariously specific question here, but this is just what we do on Nerd Sesh. Harrison Barnes right now is putting up 27 a game. Just had a game-winning buzzer-beater three last night. So let me ask you, Logan, have we undervalued HB? And by the way, we were going to ask this question before he did that, but now it's even more relevant than ever. So what do you think? He did that just down the street, literally just a couple blocks down. We were, we were literally like a mile away from greatness, Carson. Um, yes, we've undervalued Harrison Barnes. Not Sacramento Kings fans, you know. We all know what a beast HB is. But dude, it's like... Harrison Barnes does a really simple, like, he does really simple things on the offensive end, but he does them at such a high level. He's a perfect off-ball shooter and uh, scoring wing in this lineup. You know, Fox, Halliburton, and Mitchell, they all attack downhill, they all collapse defenses, and they all get into the lane and kick it back out to shooters, so... He's either catching the rock and going up with it, which he's great at. Again, an elite catch and shooter, uh, like 55% off the catch this season. He uh, either is attacking a closeout, which he's great at as well. He's been attacking the rim with just a a different kind of ferocity this season. Or he's moving it to another wing, uh, another shooter on the wing. Like, Barnes is just, I feel like Harrison would work anywhere where the ball is moving around the perimeter, where there's a lot of passing Ball movement. He's just smart, and he knows what to do with the ball when he gets it. If that's, again, going up with it, attacking closeout, moving it to another wing, he just, it's smooth. He helps just, again, I I say this term a lot, slick the wheels of an offense, helps the machine go. And then off that, you know I mean, solid rebounder. He attacks the offensive glass hard. And again, dude, like I think he's put up 14 points per game every season in Sacktown, 16 last year. He's at like 20, what, did it drop off? He was at 27. What is he at now? He's at 27. Yeah, he's at 27 this year. Like, obviously, it's because he's shooting hot, 52% on eight attempts a game this season. But, yeah, I'd say in the scope of the league, he's underappreciated, undervalued, and underrated. Logan, I I cannot believe how similar our spiels were on this because the dude's averaging 27 a game. And what both of us have chosen to highlight is basically the exact same thing, which is just how much he fits within the flow of of an offense and how decisive he is. And you identified the three key things, literally exactly what I had written down in that order. It is catch and shoot threes, it is attacking closeouts, and it is swinging the ball. And what I love about that is that, you know, we saw him fit into a great Warriors offense pretty easily earlier in his career. Then he went to Dallas, he decided, hey, I'm going to be a star. And it just was like kind of the Harrison Barnes show. And it wasn't great. It was a lot of post touches. It was a lot of isolation. And just wasn't very good basketball, even if he was a skilled enough one-on-one scorer. But in, in Sacramento, he has found that winning role again. And it is a role that works anywhere. And by the way, I know that there's been talk about the Harrison Barnes trade previously, but I think that now you look at his contract, I think it's 
two years, 38 million left, including this year. That is a very movable deal for a guy who is going to be productive, highly efficient. I mean, right now he's 67% true shooting, not sustainable because he's been so great from beyond the arc, but he's going to shoot 40% from deep. He could shoot 50% from the field and you can use him in multiple ways. He can be a screener for you. He can be a guy curling around screens. He can be, again, just a spot-up dude on the perimeter who then will either put up the shot or attack the closeout. He can be a ball handler, though. And even his on-ball bag is expanded as well. Like, we've seen him hit four or six step-back threes on this year. And he had made 20 step-back threes over the last two seasons. That's 130 games. And he's made four already this season. And, like, he looks confident in it. And it's a pretty impressive shot. So, he does a lot really well for you and he's going to compete defensively, and he has good enough physical tools there, like, he's just really good, man. And I don't think that there's been that much of a question about it, but I just feel like he's kind of gotten better and better as his outside shot has gotten even more impressive and consistent as his passing has gotten a lot better because, like, last year he was up at three and a half assists per game. He'd never been in that range. I think he'll be up there again this year. And he does that without dominating the ball. And the the young guards here are still able to run the show, right? Like, they can all get their touches, Foxy and Halliburton and Davion Mitchell, and HB can still put up 20 a night efficiently, and I think he'll probably be up towards that range. I mean, I think he'll be in 18 to 20 a night very efficiently this year. So, I don't know, dude. Might be a target for other teams because, like, that's a pretty easy contract to fit in. That's a guy who could be a really, really good fourth option on, like, a championship team or a third option on just, like, a legitimate playoff team. He's balling out. I don't know, man. I wonder. I, I don't think the Kings would be that that eager to move off of him. You know, like like what what kind of value do you think do you think Harrison has around the league? That's a good question. I'm trying to remember when there was talk of the Celtics trade. I don't remember what was being offered, but my point is just the fact that conversations like that have taken place tells you that he is not like totally immovable and an essential part of you know, their franchise's plan. Like, just because the age, you know, timeline, it doesn't totally work out. I just don't think he's going to be a top priority for them. And I think that realistically, when he's a free agent, they're pretty likely to lose him. I don't know. We'll see how he plays up until then to justify if he's a long-term piece here. But at the end of the day, he's not going to be a foundational guy in Sacramento. And they're still a couple years away from being a legitimate contender if they're going to get there. But for a team that is trying to win now... I think he could be really pretty great. So one of the storylines of the season, I mean, call me crazy, he's not going to average 27 a game this year, but he has just consistently gotten better. And shout out to him, dude. I mean, a guy who I'm always going to have some love for because he was on that first Warriors title team and was an exciting young player. And hey, for seventh overall pick, not bad. Guy's had a really good NBA career and again, it's just getting better. So props to him, Logan. All right, so... There's a guy who we've been pretty excited by thus far through this first week plus. Now, let me ask you about a team, Logan. And again, this will be another question actually with two sides to it like we did with the rookies. Which team are you most excited about right now? And which team are you most concerned about right now? We will again start with the positive here. I say we just stick with it with HB. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Kings. Um, And... You know, like, I think the big thing is Harrison's been carrying this team, like, over the hump in these games. Like, De'Aaron, De'Aaron Fox has not been overly dominant, but I've still been impressed individually uh, with what De'Aaron's done. Like, uh, while he's not shot well from behind the arc, he is getting to tough spots in the mid-range and knocking down tough mid-range jumpers. He is 
attacking the cup extremely hard and getting tough buckets on the inside. He's helping facilitate this offense. And, dude, I just love when we run Fox, Halliburton, and Mitchell because the ball movement is impeccable. Guys are they're unselfish. They're not trying to hold on to it. They're trying to swing it around the wings. And Halliburton, that dude is just... Again, I know that people say this about him all. He's just a winning basketball player, and it is so much fun to watch in a situation like this. Buddy healed, though, dude. Like, I didn't know Buddy had another gear to take it up to. I have been so impressed with what he's been able to do with the ball in his hands, operating out of the mid-range, just being crafty, getting off his shots. I don't know who was guarding him the other night. When he, like, he ran him in a circle on the left baseline, pump fake high, uh, jab step left, had an easy wide-open layup. Like, Buddy has just been craftier with the ball in his hands. Um defensively, though, this is the one thing that I've just been disappointed in, dude. We're still 26 in defensive rating, and, like, I I genuinely do. You can just see it on the court. There is a different kind of intensity and mentality with this team, but it is going to be a pitfall of a team that plays this fast. They just cannot get back in transition quick enough to slow down teams, and they're not hitting their three-point shots at a high enough clip. Like, when you miss three-pointers, that creates instant offense on the other end in transition, so, I mean, I think it kind of goes hand-in-hand. Hand. Like, if we start shooting better, I think you'll see an increase in the transition defense. Um, like, in the half court, I like it. Like, Davion is clamping whoever uh, they put him on. Tristan Thompson is doing a great job of subbing in for rim protection minutes. We're still getting a lot of Alex Len, which I hate. Like, get him off the floor. Len does not need to be out there. But, I don't know. I've, I've been a little underwhelmed with the defense, but I know it is in part of just things that are in control on the offensive end. Um, overall though, I've just, I've been impressed, especially with Barnes. Once Fox starts shooting the ball better, you maybe have three 20 point per game scorers potentially with Buddy. Um, and then just guys that make this machine go again, Halliburton, Mitchell, Rashawn Holmes, and his elite floater touches you always like to touch on. Kings are just fun to watch, man. They are finally getting back to that kind of just, not like they weren't last year, but just fun ball movement. They're just a fun team to watch. The team that I fell in love with a couple years ago and, uh, it's been fun to watch. Again, I'm hopeful shots start falling. We see this defense continue to improve. Um, and I want to see this team make a genuine play-in push. I think it's there. Because I, I, there's a team that I've been disappointed out uh, with in, West, in the West that I think we could see fall off, which I'll get to in a minute, and maybe open the door for that play-in push. That's really what I want to see. And uh, I'm just excited, man. There's a lot of young, fun pieces on this team. Yeah, I think that they are... On the fringes of the play-in conversation, it's been difficult because of how impressive another team has been that I'm going to talk about in a minute, but I really do like the Kings, man. I really like their top seven guys, like maybe even top eight if you throw Terrence Davis in there. Like It's it's a really good all-around group. Another thing that I think Harrison Barnes deserves credit for, actually, is just how much he's increased his volume of attempts from three to where he's taking eight-plus a game now because he's always been kind of a mid-range fiend. Just a more efficient player now than he's ever been. Props to him again. Plus, one of the best nicknames ever, the Black Falcon. Very fun one to shout out when he was a warrior with excitement. So, I really like what they have. I mean, they have young guys but who know how to play winning basketball, obviously. And I just think you touched on the shooting. It's going to get better, dude. Davion hasn't been hitting his shots. He's 22% from deep. Tyrese has been under 29%. Fox has been shooting the ball really poorly. And honestly, I love De'Aaron Fox, obviously. I just made a video about him. I think he should be great. I think he should be putting up easily 25 and 7 this year. Like, that should be the expectation. Just hasn't been efficient. Hasn't been great from the line either. Like, there have been some issues for him. A few too many turnovers, probably. But I also do think that he has 
established himself as that top guy, and he has just kept coming at teams, and it's not like he's faded away or anything, and that's positive. I think that bodes well for how we'll continue to produce going forward. So I agree with you. The defense is still an issue. That being said, I do think it's better. I think that there are more athletes on this team. I think that Davion is pretty clearly the best perimeter the best perimeter defender and really all-around defender that this group has. And I just like their balance. I like how many different guys they have who can step up. I like a lot about the Kings. They have been kind of similar to what I expected, and I've been pleased with it. I do have to shout out, though, the team who I had just edging them out for my second play-in spot, and that is the Minnesota Timberwolves, man. I mean, we talked about them on our last NBA show just because I was already so excited by what they had done and the energy that they had played with as they just blew out the Rockets. But I was like, hey, that's one game. You know, we don't really know how much they're going to sustain that. And they have sustained it, man. I mean, they just went out there and beat the Bucks, and they're sitting at 3-1 and one right now. They've played as a top-five defense in basketball up to this point. This is just sweet justification, really, for the faith I had in these individual guys because I don't think anybody really has been higher on Carl Anthony Towns. Like I've talked about his potential to be one of the absolute top offensive centers ever. Like I already think he pretty clearly does stuff that nobody else has ever done at the position. He's putting up 28-8-4 on 56% from the field, 52% from deep. Ant dude, who I have also, again, loved since like midway through last season when he really took it up another level. The shot has looked good. He's taking high volume of threes, but also we saw against the Bucks when it came to closing time, when he had to get that dagger bucket, he went right at the chest of, I believe it was Chris Middleton. Forget who was guarding him, but I just love that play, dude, because in crunch time, way too many guys just settle, man. They, they get worried about, obviously, the help coming over, and it just seems easier to take the pull-up. When you're Anthony Edwards, dude, you better get to the bucket. And guess what? If they send help, leave yourself enough time to kick out to a shooter somewhere. And he got right to the bucket and, like, just insane, dude. Insane for a second-year player. D'Lo could be better, could be more efficient. I still think maybe his involvement in this offense is a little bit much, and I don't know how he fits long-term. But the top two have been outstanding. And then just the overall effort and energy of this team, and they play with a lot of pace. They're playing with, again, defensive intensity. I love it, dude. I think they're clearly a play-in team. I am hopeful they are a playoff team, and I really think that I probably should have picked them to win a few more games because, again, I had them as my play-in team just because I thought, you know, the Pelicans are going to have some trouble this year, which, by the way, they have, and then I just liked them a little bit more than the Kings because I thought they should have two legitimate star talents. So even if I wasn't totally sold on the depth and the team defense, which again has been really good, I was like, if they have Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, they should be a play-in team, and they should be closer to 500 than maybe I gave them credit for. And that's what I think they've proven thus far. So major props to the T-Wolves, dude. So excited for them. Props to Chris Finch for getting this team on the right track. Props for them to surviving some organizational instability right before the year where you have Gershon Rosas like literally days before the season starts and now all of a sudden he's fired your president of basketball operations. So I'm just impressed. I'm very impressed and I'm very pleased with the Timberwolves. And if you want to go back and watch the video I made last year on why the NBA's worst team had one of its brightest futures, because nobody watched it. It's like 200 views, but I thought, Hey, it's pretty good and it's relevant now. So check it out, baby. I love those guys. Yeah. And I mean, I've been super impressed with with Anthony Edwards. Like, and I think that's why I should have picked them to to win a few more games. 
I didn't expect this kind of leap. I expected a leap, not this kind of leap. This is an all-star, superstar-level leap. On the flip side of that, a team I have been disappointed in. Now, record-wise, they're 2-2. Two and two, And offensive rating and defensive rating-wise, they've been pretty solid. They're ninth in the offensive rating. They're 15th in defensive rating. I'm talking about the Portland Trailblazers. And the reason I've been disappointed is I just think, I just think they're, I, I don't, they're too dependent on the perimeter shot, Carson. And I think this is going to be the pitfall of this team when it comes like playoff, play-in time. Like, they, they absolutely demolished the Suns, and they banged 21 threes on their head, and then they lose to the Clippers, and they drop 86 points because they make eight threes. And I get Damian Lillard has been inconsistent, and this is going to be a really consistent offense once Damian gets back to, you know, his MVP-level play, because, again, he's probably going to be up near 25 points again. This is going to be an elite offense, but I just think the supporting pieces here, and again, Norman Powell's been awesome at you know helping uh, helping this situation as well to start off the year. I just don't trust the pieces around here. Anthony Simons has looked good, but like outside of him, dude, you're entrusting, and this was our problem before the year, you're entrusting Larry Nance, Ben McLemore, DSJ, Rocco to knock down these perimeter looks, and it's just... I just don't like the depth of shooting here on this team, and I think it is going to sink their ship. Like, I think you are just going to see this team consistently do what they've done in these first four games. They are going to blow teams out in games where they just get hot from deep, and then they are going to lose games dramatically and where they can't knock down a shot. And I think it's just too inconsistent for me to truly believe in this team. I thought about this before the year. I thought about, you know, all their issues with this new bench. I'm not a believer, and again, the there are no indications really early on from rating-wise or record-wise to enforce this point home, but I just think they're too dependent on the perimeter shot for me to genuinely believe about this team when it comes playoff time. Maybe that's a good swing thing. You know, they could get hot in a play-in game or a playoff series. I don't like it, and I'm not a believer in this defense continuing to even be league average, so uh, I'm not a believer in the Blazers. Well, they are super dependent on the perimeter. That was the case last year. I think that they scored the lowest percentage of their points in the paint, actually by a wide margin in all of basketball. I don't necessarily think that's an issue, though. I mean, when Norman Powell is healthy, they have three absurdly dynamic perimeter creators, and CJ has been just unbelievable. Like, dude just keeps getting better, man. I mean, last year was his best season ever, and now he's putting up 27 a night and hitting 48% of his threes. Obviously, small sample size, but... Just nasty, man. I love CJ, and I wish that I wish that it didn't feel like he was part of the issue in Portland to where it's like him and Dame together, you know, there's some limiting to the ceiling there because of how you're limiting your perimeter defense just because of it's like, hey, do they have the most complementary skill sets? Because CJ in the right spot, dude, like that guy would just, I really think he could be like for a team like Philly, like uh, the difference maker for them, like the guy who makes them a title contender. He's just nasty. But I don't think that that's a huge issue. What I think is a, a major issue is exactly what we anticipated, and it is the depth of this team. Like, I just don't like the bench, man. I did not expect Dennis Smith Jr. to be playing 18 minutes a game, but I do not like it. And Anthony Simons has actually been really good, which I have loved because I'm a huge Ant Simons guy, and he's putting up almost 15 a night on. 48% from deep. Like, I love it, man. He was one of my three guys in that draft who I talked about a lot as liking a lot more than the consensus. And he's pretty nasty, but it's just like a lot of Cody Zeller, a lot of Dennis Smith Jr. again, which I just did not expect. Nasir Little is the guy who they have to ask to step up and start with Norman Powell out. And he's actually been okay. And I think he's a guy who's going to play hard. And 
You know, if he's going to shoot well enough from the perimeter, solid guy, physical player, pretty strong, going to compete. But it's just like, kind of what are we doing here? Like, there's no world in which they're winning a playoff series. No world. And so, hey, guess what, guys? You may have to look yourselves in the mirror and say we need to trade Damian Lillard. So I understand this choice. Again, they're 2-2. Two and two, They're fine, but I don't think they're as good as they were last year. And last year, they got beaten somewhat convincingly by a Denver Nuggets team that did not have Jamal Murray. So I think that that's a solid enough choice. I'm going to talk about a team that, you know, it's not like my complete outlook on them has changed. It's really just issues that have been related to one guy. And that is the Brooklyn Nets. Because they're 2-3 and three right now. I mean, they were my title pick. And I still completely believe in that ceiling. What is just kind of alarming and strange is the play of James Harden. Because my belief was, even without Kyrie, if this team has two elite offensive creators of this caliber, there's going to be enough shooting. There's going to be enough just versatility from the offensive guys around them to where they can be an otherworldly unit. But they need two elite offensive creators to make that happen. KD alone may be this otherworldly score, but guess what? He's not going to make you alone an unbelievable offense night to night. And James Harden has just been like inexplicably bad through five games. He's given you 16.5, and 7-8 and on 36% from the field. Has not had a single average night by his standards. Honestly, hasn't even come all that close. Like He has not topped 20 points. He has not shot... from the field in a single game. He hasn't taken five free throws in a single game. He hasn't even had a 10 assist game where he has that prolific playmaking impact. So look, dude, I may think KD is their best player. He may have been my pick for MVP, but Harden is probably their most important regular season offensive player because of the impact he's going to have facilitating the offense as a whole. And if he's going to suck, the Nets aren't winning the title. Now, obviously, I think he's going to get better, but what I do think is legitimately disturbing is is the issue that he has had looking completely out of his element when he doesn't get a foul call, dude. And like that has been a storyline of this season, how the officiating has changed, how they're trying to eliminate what are not natural basketball moves, like, you know, some of the uh, stopping on a dime so a guy will jump into your back or jumping into a shooter, uh, into a defender who's largely remaining vertical off a pump fake, like all these things. And James Harden has obviously been hugely dependent on drawing fouls that are not always the most natural within the flow of a game. But dude, he just, again, looks like shocked. He's not getting calls. He's taking three free throws a night. It's just alarming. And he needs to find a way to be the same player without getting those, you know, six or seven free points a night that he's used to because he's not going to get the same volume of calls. The refs have made that pretty clear. He's not going to be able to hook defenders in the same way and get that call. He's not going to be able to just flail his arms. All this stuff that he has relied on previously, and maybe that actually changes who he is as a player more than we even anticipated because I'm just kind of shocked, dude. Like, he looks out of his element. He's taking the least shots a game since he was in OKC2. He's turning the ball over 4.6 times a night. He's 7 of 20 on floaters. Like, that just hasn't been reliable enough for him right now. He's not getting downhill a whole ton. He's not, again, having those monster playmaking nights. So, dude, like, just because you're not getting the calls doesn't mean that you shouldn't be asserting yourself on the game to the same degree that he normally does because James Harden needs to be putting up 28 and 10. Like, he needs to be up in that tier. And he hasn't even really tried. He's been bad. 
He's been inefficient. He hasn't gotten the foul calls. He's turned the ball over. All those things are true. But what is also true is that he hasn't even put his imprint on the game as far as the volume of attempts that you need from him. So he's got to be better, dude, because this Nets offense just hasn't been as good as I believe it should be, as I expected it to be. And I'm not writing anything out. I think they're still going to be great. And I think that they still could end up being the best team out East. But that requires them being probably the best offense in basketball, if not very, very close to it. And that requires great James Harden. And what we are getting right now is the worst James Harden we have seen in years. So it's only been five games, but it's time to turn it around. Any thoughts on that? Any other teams that you would shout out in this category? I do want to say the uh, the foul calls have made games so much easier to watch. Uh, the games just move along. It's it's so much nicer. Um, I do wonder if it, it genuinely has affected him, though. I will shout out uh, just the Lakers, um, that utter collapse against the the Thunder the other night. Um, and just, just overall, man, they needed Melo to drop 28 points with LeBron healthily to barely beat the Grizzlies. Um, they still got destroyed in the paint in that game, got destroyed on the glass. Um I know LeBron has been out, but like, it's just, it's been, it's been a rough ride for the Lakers so far. Again, the collapse against the Thunder, you lead by that much against a team that is that, you know, has that lack of talent throughout the roster. You have to be concerned. Um, we'll, we'll really see when LeBron gets back and, you know, see some more games under their belt, but it has been deeply concerning, certainly for the Lakers. Yeah. Look, I feel like I've given a majority of my Lakers thoughts, but they are not at a good spot right now. And we'll see how things look with LeBron out there healthy again. But really, most of the things that we said apply. And it's a little different when LeBron's not out there. What I will say is I genuinely was laughing uproariously when Russ took that pull-up three to try to tie the game. And you can vouch for that, Logan. Like, unbelievably bad. It 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 was hilarious. Malik Monk, though. I mean, look, Malik had five straight in a clutch spot in that game. If I'm not mistaken, he had 17 in their win over the Spurs, and he is their best player. And he airballed that three at the end of the game. I'm not sure what that's all about, but Logan, let me ask you another question here. Last one. We do eight, and this is a big one, and it's the one that we advertise in the thumbnail of this video if you're watching on YouTube. I'll ask you this as a group question, Logan. Do you view any of these teams as legitimate Title contenders right now, the Golden State Warriors, the Chicago Bulls, or the New York Knicks? I want to say yes for all of them. Um, I'll start with the, I'll, I'll let you take lead on Warriors. I'll start with the Bulls. The Bulls offense is just smooth like butter, man. And I, that's, that's why I think that they're just, I don't know how you slow down this offense. They've got so many versatile ball handlers, spacing provided by all these catch and shooters. Like the Vucevic pick and roll, pick and pop is instant offense every time. But the biggest thing to me, dude, is that DeRozan and Levine are just elite closers. They are guys that I want closing out games for me. Versus the Raptors, Levine dominates in the mid-range in the third quarter, just gets to his spots, knocks down a bunch of tough jumpers. DeRozan takes over in the fourth, helps close out this game, is just knocking down tough middies. That is this Late in games, it is going to be hard to slow down this offense because you have got tough shot makers in DeRozan and Levine, and you've got smart ball movers, versatile ball handlers down this roster in Alonzo Ball. Like, I just love the offense here. And then defensively, dude, in the half court, 
I don't know, man. The, the Bulls are a little shaky, but they are elite at forcing turnovers. Uh, they're fourth in defensive rating right now. They force 16 versus the Pistons, 16 versus the Pels, 20 versus the Pistons, and 19 versus the Raptors. They are just good at getting into lanes and getting out in transition and forcing turnovers. But I still need to see them do this against top-level competition. Again, the teams I just rattled off, Pistons, Pelicans, Pistons, again, Raptors. We need to see this against top-level competition. The Bulls right now, Carson, are fighting neck and neck for me with the Heat as just genuine, genuine finals contenders out East. But the Heat have done it against tough teams, against the Bucks, against the Nets. I need to see the Bulls do it against tough competition for me to really, really believe uh, in this team. Yeah, this is a tough question, man. <laughs> All three of these teams I'm kind of on the fringe with, and part of it is... These were all groups that I really believed in. And I think pretty much across the board was much higher on than the consensus. Like you look at the Vegas over-under win totals. For the Bulls, it was 42 and a half. I had them winning 50. For the Knicks, it was 41 and a half. I had them at 47. And for the Warriors, it was 48 and a half, so a little closer, but I had them at 51. Like I liked all these teams, and they have all looked as good, if not better, than I could have anticipated. And so it's exciting, man. The Bulls. I think you highlighted a lot of their strengths. Super athletic, various elite creators. The shooting has been outstanding. They've been the best team by percentage from beyond the arc this year. And defensively, like that athleticism just shines. And that ability to force turnovers and, you know, make big plays really does shine. And I do think that their depth is pretty solid. So, legitimate title contender, I am going to need to see a little bit more. But I do think they are on the fringes of that conversation, and I think that they are every bit, you know, the team that we could have expected them to be. Like, there just aren't many teams that have this much offensive talent, and it's talent that really does complement each other in a way that we haven't seen these guys be complemented previously in their careers. So, I think that they are on the fringe of that conversation. I'm not ready to get all the way there. Part of the other thing, though, that is making me think about all these teams is that all the presumptive contenders pretty much are really flawed, I think. Like, the Nets look flawed. The Lakers, obviously, are extremely flawed. The Bucks and the Jazz are probably more of just, like, the machines that are going to keep on rolling, and maybe they're the two most solid teams right now. But other than that, it kind of does feel like an open field right now. And I think the Nets are going to pull it together, and I think the Lakers are going to get better. But these are really good all-around teams, all of these. The Knicks, dude, exceptionally deep. Two-way team, again, multiple offensive creators. I loved their offseason, loved it, and I mean, it's just been validated. The shooting is legitimate, it flows well, they move the ball well, and they're going to play both ends. So I don't think that they're quite there. I, I Man, it's tough for me deciding between them and the Bulls who I think is better. I think that they're both really, really good. I would probably trust the Bulls a little bit more, but really, I don't know about that, dude, because the Knicks' defensive foundation is so much stronger, I think, and more proven. I do think, though, that the Bulls probably have a higher offensive ceiling. So I'm kind of going to be right now at a, they're very close with both these teams, but I'm not all the way there. Like, I think that these are like 50-win teams. I think that they are certainly teams that can win a playoff series. And I think that, again, a lot of teams are flawed right now, but I don't know if I'm ready to say title contender after four or five games about these teams that are pretty newly constructed. But man, are they exciting, and man, are they good. Yeah, I'm also on the fence about the Knicks, and between the Bulls and the Knicks, I'd probably lean Bulls just because I trust Levine and DeRozan to close out games more than these guys. Um, 
Knicks are just fun, dude. Julius Randle is exceptional. 25, what, 7 and 11? When you give him this spacing, he's one of the best playmakers in the game. What did you, were you on the fence about fence about the fence with the Warriors? I think that the Warriors are the, frankly, least talented of these three teams. However, they have obviously far and away the best player. And I think that although the Knicks have a really clear identity, so do the Warriors, man. And they just understand how to complement each other and they're going to move the ball effortlessly and they're going to shoot the ball really well. And I feel just as good about this team as I did before the year. And when Clay comes back, maybe it unlocks a completely different ceiling offensively because there's going to be so much shooting. I will say, though, that I think some people are overreacting a little bit to the 4-0 start because it's not like it's been smooth sailing throughout, dude. I mean, like, I don't think the Warriors have played a single game that you would say was smooth sailing throughout. I mean, the Lakers, that was a quality win. The first half, though, was not great. Clippers game was pretty smooth offense, but also, you know, I mean, they started out incredibly strong and then let the Clippers close the gap, but that was probably their best offensive game. But then against the Kings, they were down and very competitive for most of that game. Against the Thunder, they kind of just sleepwalked through it. So, I think that they're really, really good. I would say that with Klay Thompson out there, they definitely have a contending ceiling. But, I mean, I still don't think that they are as good of an all-around group as like... Actually, maybe the only team I could say I think is clearly better out West is the Jazz. And when it comes to the Bulls and the Knicks, there's not that many teams I could say are clearly better out East. Like, we are going to learn a lot about all these teams over the next few weeks of the season. But what I think we have learned about all of them is that they are very, very impressive, and they are among the most improved teams in all of basketball. And they are fun, and they play both ends pretty much across the board with these groups. And, like, dude, if the Bulls can sustain being a top-10 defense, they're going to be fringe title contenders at, at the least, and they could be better than I expected, which is insane because it's so many guys who have just, like, put up their numbers on middling teams in recent years with Vooch and Levine and DeRozan, and to have them together and complementing each other and to have the role guys alongside them in Lonzo and Caruso, like, it just really, really works. And I'm excited. I'm excited for Bulls fans. I really am because this group is really, really fun. So any final thoughts on any of those groups? Any final thoughts overall as we wrap things up here? I agree with what you said. We're going we're gonna to learn more as it comes along. I think the Warriors may have an actual championship chance with Clay when he gets back. And I don't think there are many teams better than the Bulls and Knicks out east. I think they're all really close. I need to see the Knicks defense sustained. Like, I know that's their identity, but I really need to see that sustained. I need to see Kemba and what he can do with the ball in his hands a little more because he's going to be tasked with helping Fournier close games out for this team. I need to see RJ shoot a little better for me to be a real big believer, but... It's close. It is. It's close between all these teams out east. And again, man, with the Nets potentially floundering, if James Harden doesn't pick his slack up, it's open. The The east will once again be open this season. Yeah, I think that we need to see a better Kemba as well. I would agree with that. So I am going to, again, sort of hold off on comment. What I will say is I am not Xing any of these teams out of that tier. And I think that they are all... Really, really very good. And I'm glad to see that because, again, I felt like I was really high on all these groups. I made videos on both the Knicks and the Bulls. I thought that they had great off seasons, and we are seeing it really play out there, which is fun. And I just love 
how new all these teams feel. Cause like these are teams that have been in their own ways, dramatically reconstructed and built up and it's awesome. So there you have it. Clearly we are very much enjoying this NBA season. We hope you are enjoying it alongside us and we hope you are enjoying our discussion about all of it as well. If you are, the good news is we have plenty more nerd sesh content. Go ahead and check out nerdsesh.com. That's our new website where we aggregate all of our video podcast and now written content should have more stuff there by the end of this week on the writing side. You can also watch our podcast on YouTube. As you can see, we live stream a couple of those here a week. Normally Monday, Wednesday are the live streams. We push today's back to Thursday. Appreciate all you guys still tuning in for that. So you can find all of that NBA NFL content. You can also just listen to the podcast, audio form, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your content. We will link that in the description. You can follow us on social media, Twitter is at nerd underscore sesh and Instagram is at nerd sesh. And with that, as always, Logan, I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.